I'm sick of it. I'm sick of that. I'm sick of this. Of what? Health. Health. I'm sick of health. Sick of health. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Sick of Health once again for the penultimate episode of season two. Uh, I welcome back, as always, David Wright. Hello. And Rob Littlewood. Hello, everyone. How are we doing, chaps? Really good. Very good, thank you. Yeah, very good. Good stuff, good stuff. Of course, uh, we are joined, as usual, by our uh, sound guy uh, from Dead Ready Productions, Chris Tung. Shout out, Chris Tung. There he is. Yeah, Big old wave there. Wave. Yeah, We're nice. in, the, uh, in the booth, so waving through the window. Um, I think this episode, we will skip the correspondence... I know the fans are looking forward to that, but it will come in again. Don't worry. We'll skip the correspondence um, because, as you will remember, because you all listen to all the episodes, in the previous episode, uh, we referenced an episode that we were hoping to do. And Rob, I'm not going to make you guess what the episode is this time. The episode mm. is breast cancer. And you remember why we're doing an episode on breast cancer? Uh, well, Lucy's a good friend of mine, and it made sense because I know her reasonably well when I was surprised to hear that she was suddenly the guest tonight. Okay, we haven't introduced Lucy yet, but that is a good point to do it. <laughs> <laughs> the reference was the breast, ca- the breast cancer because of the slip-up in the... Uh, which episode was it? The biggest oh, killer one the with the male suicide. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Which we played which back. perfect sense. But yeah. on that note, so we said we were saving that episode because we didn't have... Uh, we couldn't make the timings work with the guests we wanted. But today... We have that guest, and that is, as as Rob has already told us, Lucy. (laughs) (laughs) Introducing yourself there wonderfully. How are you, Lucy? Hello, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to Sick of Health. (laughs) The Sick of Health listeners are in for an absolute treat. And so so we know we're doing an episode on breast cancer. We know we've got a guest in called Lucy. The connection, unfortunately, I have to say, is that Lucy is here for this episode because... She has a genetic disposition, right? That means you're very likely to get breast cancer in the future, mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. So as part of this episode, we kind of want to hear about Lucy's story because it is fascinating. Um, and then also delve into the various aspects of breast cancer. But I think before we go into your story, if that's all right, Lucy, yeah. we'll start where we always start with David's little sciencey breast cancer roundup. Yeah, thank you very much. So, uh, yeah, so breast cancer can be classified uh, broadly into a few different types, and it's mainly on um, whereabouts it starts. So you can have, um, it can either be in the lobes or the ducts of the breast. And then uh, also depending on what receptors it expresses. So you can have estrogen expressing breast cancer, progesterone, or something called HER2. And if it doesn't have any of those three, then it's known as triple negative breast cancer. And then on top of that, when... That's the, that's the one you hear a lot, right? Triple negative. That, is that the most deadly one? Yeah, that's the most dangerous one because... Yeah, it sounds quite sort of innocent. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's all negative. Triple negative, actually. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a bit of a misnomer, but I guess it's because if you don't have any of those, each of those expressions of the different receptors, there's another opportunity to have a treatment against it. So uh-huh. if you don't have any of the three, then you have fewer options when it comes to treatment. Okay, so it's more deadly because there's less treatments. Yeah, there's less angles to attack it. Okay, okay. Triple negative. Interesting. You don't hear that terminology for any other cancer, do you? I don't know. No, not that I'm aware of. Fair. Fair. Sorry, carry on. Carry on. 
So then with every other kind of cancer, which I think we spoke about before, maybe some other episodes, you can it gets graded uh, upon different things. So um, it gets graded one to three on how quickly it grows. And then also you get stages one to four, depending on how big it is when it's found and also whether it's metastasized or not. Um, and, yeah, and metastasize means exactly what again? So metastasize, great question, is whether it's left the original location of where the tumor was, so where the tumor first um, became or where it, where it grew at the first instance, if it metastasized, it's moved from that location to another place. So that shows that it's, uh, it grows faster and it's a little bit more dangerous because it can spread. They, of, they often separate the two because when it's, that's almost like the, the advanced form of the disease, right? When it metastasized. It often happens when uh, someone's been treated and they've got rid of the initial tumor and then it comes back. Yeah. Then it's much more likely to metastasize. Well, because it's sort of developed defenses against, you know, it's sort of like if you take too many antibiotic, you know, drugs and you're, you're build up a resistance. Yeah. Yeah, but then. it's more of an inherent characteristic of the tumor itself. So some just aren't naturally inclined to metastasize; that they'll just kind of grow within one tumor, and others are more likely to kind of break apart or spread quickly and go into your blood or into your lymph system and then travel to somewhere else in your body. Because it's always through blood and lymph system, isn't it? Yeah. And lymph system is? So that's kind of a uh, clearance system in your body. So it kind of, if you have a bacterial or viral infection or something, then it's a lymph system that uses the, uh, your white blood cells travel around there and it helps clear out those kind of infections. So it's also another kind of highway around your body where things can travel from one place to another. So it's a place where a metastasizing cancer can travel through. Nice. I always say, I mean, people always, you always think of the blood system circling around your body. The lymph system is a... You don't really hear about it too much, you know. This, cool. like this is new to me. Yeah. yeah. Lymph nodes I know about. Yep. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're often, when you look at like a map of it, right, they're often, they kind of follow the same, your lymph nodes is with your blood vessels, not the whole way around the body, but they're yeah. often intertwined, right? Yeah, yeah, it's very similar. And then you have lymph nodes which are in set different places, so you have some in your neck, so if you get an infection, that's sometimes why you feel your oh, neck swell up and you have them under your armpits. Oh. So sometimes, yeah, if you have breast cancer, then you might have some of your lymph nodes taken out within your armpits too because they're the first ones that the metastasizing cancer might go towards, so it would be a safety option. Yeah, nice. And then if we're thinking... Um, uh, risk factors of breast cancer. Rob, any thoughts? Risk risk factors. My knowledge of breast cancer. My my mum is also susceptible to it. her side of the family is susceptible to it. Her okay, mum died okay. of breast cancer. My very limited knowledge of it is is largely hereditary. I don't know if yeah. I don't know if I have a, a sound suggestion for like potential risk factors. Which is, uh, I mean, it's a good segue because yeah. essentially. Mm. Hereditary is definitely one of the risk factors, mm. along with kind of your classic risk factors of right. age, alcohol consumption, okay. being overweight. One of the interesting ones of breast cancer is menopause. Um, you're more likely to get it after menopause, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, lack and of why, why is that about the menopause? Uh, it's for hormones. It's very hormone driven. Oh, so as we talked before, the estrogen, progesterone. So the longer, yeah. So it's all it's very hormone driven, and also if you have. Uh, if you have children later in life, then you're more likely to get breast cancer because of the amount of hormones going around in your body. So yeah, it's a very hormonal-driven disease. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, but to go back to the uh, hereditary factor, because that is kind of where we want to focus today's episode. Because mm. um, like you said, with your mum's side of your family and similarly for Lucy, the mum's side of your family, um, it, uh, that hereditary form. So I guess at that point, possibly a good time to ask you about your story, Lucy, and why kind of how you got to the point where you found out that you are at risk of getting breast cancer. Yeah, so basically, yeah, it's the hereditary, following the hereditary path. Um, so my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer at 31. Um, and I was ju had just been born, and so I didn't really know about this, but she, she had some kind of treatment, I'm not sure what it was, and it went into remission for about nine years. And then she, I guess it metastasized and came back, and it came back in her back. Mm -hmm. um, and the second time was much more severe and fast moving, which now just makes sense, very interesting. Um, and so we yeah, moved to Boston, which is like there's lots of great um, cancer specialists there, lots of research going on. Um, so that's kind of, we went there for all the resources. So and we're li living in the UK. Sorry, yeah, so yeah, yeah. you can't tell from the accent. But <laughs> <laughs> I was born in England. Um, and yeah, I moved, moved to Boston when I was 10. Um, and so she had treatment there for two years. And, and the, move, the move was specifically for her breast cancer treatment? Yeah, well that and also her, she's, she's American, she was American. And okay. so okay. her whole family is like always on the East Coast. So it mm. sort of made sense support network wise yeah. to be there. <clears throat> um, got a good old squad of aunts and uncles and grandparents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you so, said the, the metastases, Sorry, this point I found interesting. In metastasized in her back. Yes. Which yeah. I don't. I've. I've. Have you heard of it in the back before? No. Yeah. That's. We were looking it up, and it's not a common place for it to metastasize too. So we were looking. It's generally kind of where we we're talking before, where you have large areas of blood flow and lymph flow too. So I think it was the liver, bones, brain, lungs was high up as well, but. Yeah. Back's a bit random. Yeah, so I guess it, it was probably in the list. spine as a guess yeah. within the back. So we're not talking like back muscle. No. The spine. Yeah, it's more likely to be in the spine. I don't know that, yeah. I'm yeah. not up on the details, but that sounds more right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so she passed away in 2004. Um, yeah. And obviously a huge bummer. Yeah, um, yeah. I, so I... Been, my whole family was, they recommended that we get genetically tested, which is a, a recent development um, as a possibility to see if we have the disposition on the BRCA1 and 2. Um, but at the time that she was ill, it was right at the end of her illness, and they had just come out with it, and they were trying to sort of gather funding. So I guess she didn't have insurance. I don't know. Um, but it, they didn't get it in time, so she wasn't tested. In, okay. in the end, um, which is unfortunate because the rest of my family have been tested and none of them have any kind of disposition besides me and my brother. Mm, okay. And my brother and I have the same BRCA2 just disposition, um, which is uh, an unseen variant as before us. Um, so as a, a variant of unknown significance is what they called it. Um, and then they sent it off to the labs in Texas, which apparently is a lab place, and they sort of built the gene and then watched it develop, and it turns to cancer. So they know that it's it is a mutation that can be listed on the now the sort of yeah, variants yeah. that are are dangerous. Um, 
but so now they're trying to kind of trace where that came from, and you know, you'd think it's from my mom's yeah, side, yeah, but they yeah, can't say for sure. But then it's weird that none of my other family members have it. So they, so, so they, they're thinking maybe my dad's, which yeah. you know, because this is the yeah. thing, right? As in, because I didn't realize that so they didn't know if your mom's breast cancer was due to a BRCA1 or 2 gene. It could no, be any of the is, other breast cancer yeah. we talked mm. about. Right? Yeah. Okay, so that, yeah, I guess that's interesting. It's a bummer in terms of just like logistical cognitive bummers, you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> amongst all the other among, bummers Yeah, I mean, it's, it's low on the scale of bummers, but, you know, it is. It's still a bummer. It is. You just, you'd like to know how, how and why and where and when and, you know, all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I just ask quickly, so how long, when it came back for your mum, how long between her being diagnosed and her passing away? Uh, two years. Okay. Two and a half years. So there was like the 31 was first diagnosis and then yeah. nine years and later. Then, so she was about 40 and then she died at 42. Okay. Pretty sure. Um, and I mean, in terms of the, because you said, interestingly, I think you're saying, because it's a different, so we're talking about the, the BRCA2 gene, which I'm sure David will update us on in a bit, but the that it was a different variant and so they took it away and grew the gene in the lab or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they can just build, I mean, I have no idea how it works, but they just build, because you, you know, you're, you have a coding or whatever of your of your variant and they can just build that exact gene and then watch it grow and then it shows. Yeah, well, I guess, quick time for genetics yeah. lesson. Yeah. Yeah. Small, small subject. Yeah. Yeah. So, BRCA1 and 2 genes that are um, they work on DNA repair. So DNA is what codes all of your proteins in within your body. So it's kind of a crucial part of your cells physiology and functioning. And your DNA can get damaged and um, it's constantly kind of producing uh, proteins which you need to live. So uh, BRCA1 and 2 are part of the DNA repair mechanisms. And if DNA becomes damaged, it can cause cells to start uh, dividing uncontrollably, which then causes cancer. So BRCA1 and 2 are both within this DNA repair mechanism, but they're completely different within it. So a damage to them, to either of them, or a, um, a kind of mutation within it can lead to the same outcome, but they're just involved in different places within this repair mechanism. So yeah, either one, and there are other genetic predispositions or other genes which if they're mutated or um, don't function fully then it can also lead to the cells dividing uncontrollably. So what is the difference then between like BRCA1 and BRCA2 mutations? So they have see? different functions within DNA repair so there's lots of different ways that DNA can repair itself so every time you get a, um, a division or copying is that if you copied something over and over and over again you're going to make some mistakes at some point so the body has evolved different ways to rectify those mistakes when they happen. And there's tons of different ways that they do that. And the BRCA1 and BRCA2 are two separate mechanisms to make sure that these mistakes, if they do creep in, or damage, if you have UV damage or uh, radiation, another type of radiation, that it doesn't cause damage to the body. So if those defense mechanisms aren't working, then you're more likely to get uncontrolled division leading to cancer. Honestly, thought you guys have been saying bracket the whole time. <laughs> yeah, bracket one and two. B R C A, one and two. Glad I'm up to speed on that one. <laughs> You're in the right bracket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. She's Sorry, back. 
<laughs> but I mean, the, I was going to say the um, the other interesting point which you kind of raised, because the, these days, and we were talking about screening processes, right, in terms of genetics, um, and the way they do it, well, the way they do it currently is that if you've got a family history of breast cancer, you're encouraged to get genetic screening, which is what happened yeah. in your case. Mm. But really interestingly, they don't know if your mum's breast cancer was actually due to mm. uh, that gene, mm. even though you've been found to have it. And this was interesting, it ties up quite nicely, because basically, they say, we found um, a few studies actually, but this one in particular said that exactly half of women who had BRCA1 or 2 mutations, there was no family history that would have led them or anyone in their family to think they carried the mutation. Really, half? Yeah, mm. wow. that many. And it essentially, I mean, if we're thinking of the idea of, we'll catch all these people who have this, uh, who have this gene by, if they've got a family history, get them tested. But now half the people with the gene don't have a family history. And it's essentially what you mentioned in that this gene, the faulty, the mutant gene is passed down through the males in the family. Oh, interesting. So it doesn't necessarily get seen as right. family history. Because it's less yeah. likely to be translated into breast cancer right. when yeah. the man has it rather than the woman. I have a question about that. So I'd say it's probably fair to say that there is a myth that men can't get breast cancer. I remember kind of a very strange thing to remember, but at the age of 14, like I learned men can actually get breast cancer. And I remember it quite clearly because I remember being quite spooked by it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's so strange. Um, so, so men are less likely to get it, obviously, because yeah. breast cancer is the biggest killer of women. But like, why is that the case? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I think l having less breast tissue definitely right. is a big player, and it's very hormonally driven. So, men have less estrogen and progesterone mm -hmm. too. So, I think it's the mammary gland aspect as well, isn't it? The breast tissue. Yeah, that that's the bit that's susceptible to breast cancer. Yeah, but you can get that tissue in other places. Other people say you get it. You can find it in armpits and that kind of. Yeah, thing. Mm. and there are three hundred and fifty men in the UK every year diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm -hmm. I wonder if there's any correlation with um, men who are really unhealthy. W well, that, but also men, like men who take like estrogen pills. You know, if they're going through uh, a sex change or anything. Yeah, that, yeah, that would be very interesting to look at. If that's yeah. a that's sort of an instigator of stuff. Definitely yeah. could be because it's so hormonal. Because, yeah, the hormone, the hormone stuff definitely has a massive link. Yeah. And the other link, interestingly, all these kind of sexual organs is probably the wrong word. Reproductive organs is probably a better term, actually, isn't it? Mm. They are all linked even in terms of, so we're saying um, breast cancer, and then in men you can get breast cancer, but having the BRCA1 or 2 gene also increases the risk of men getting prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm. And it also increases, not so much, but also increases the risk for women of getting ovarian cancer, yeah. right? When the fallopian so, tubes do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's, it's all kind of interconnected into, yeah. through these mm -hmm. two genes that, um, as David said, DNA repair, but obviously DNA repair related to yeah, reproductive organs areas. in some way. I don't know. I don't know. They haven't worked that one out no. yet completely. So interesting. But... Now that we're experts on BRCA1 and 2, <laughs> and, we, and we know that essentially, if you've, unfortunately, if you have a mutation in these genes, uh, it means you kind of, you're likely to get that disease in the future, which is probably a good point to go back to kind of your story, Lucy, in terms of, so you found this out, kind of what happens next? Yeah, so what happens next is you sit down, have a strong drink of 
yeah. anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you're like, okay, right, cool. This is this is the situation. When you go to the doctor, luckily, so this is the great thing. Like Boston is, I mean, maybe I'm biased, but they are just like top of the top. So so there, so caring with you every step of the way. Um, there's a whole genetic team linked with the oncology team, linked with the surgery team, linked with everybody. Um, so I went in and was, you know, had my hands held left and right. And um, basically there's two options. You either go uh, screening, basically checking um, caution or preventative. Right, 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 right. So you do, there's the screening route, which is basically getting it uh, MRIs and mammograms every six months, alter chain, alter chain, interchanging, yeah. alternating. Um, we spoke about that, right, in the prostate cancer, where it's the watch and wait. Approach. Yeah, watch, that's yeah, what, yeah, there we go. Exactly. I was looking for an, a, a thing with a ring to it. Yeah, yeah. The watch and wait, um, and you know, once you once once you're you're earmarked with this, you are really protected. Um, you know, they have really comprehensive screening and they're there ready to do what they need to do at the drop of a hat. Yeah. And so, you know, that's a pretty good and safe option. But it does mean a lifetime of sitting, waiting, watching, um, mm. anxiety, mm. you know, the sort of unavoidable diagnosis, the treatment, even if you know you're probably going to be fine, you still have to go through it. And they, they give you, as part of the prognosis, do they give you like a, an age where they think risk increases or something? Um, so I don't know if this was just like for me, for BRCA2, for me, for what, but so my mom was diagnosed early, like 31. So for me, they were saying around that age is probably where your risk jumps to. So they said like somewhere between 60 and 80%, which is super vague. You can't know, it's never specific, but it's high, obviously. Um, and so basically, I've chosen to go the preventative route, which is the mastectomy, um, and I'm doing a reconstruction as well, um, which is a huge deal, obviously, um, and very scary and very invasive to remove all any all breast tissue. So that's what mastectomy is. Mastectomy, right, yeah, all it? breast tissue, tissue, including the nipple, including just everything. They wipe you, and it's you go to 98% of you're going to be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Which is huge, um, and it just means, yeah, a lifetime of not worrying and a yeah. lifetime of knowing that you took steps to kind of gain control of the situation and kind of fight back in a way and mm. a million things. I think it's just a super personal decision. I don't, don't think it's a right or wrong. And yeah, this, the, yeah. the, to the doctors, will never recommend one. They give you both these options. They tell you the pros and cons of each, and they're just like, take your time with the, the decision. Yeah, how do they, they don't, they let you know bias involved at all. It's no. actually, these are the facts. These mm -hmm. are the facts. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Are, are they like, but this is what I would recommend? No, I mean, my doctors didn't just because, yeah. as I said, both are both are pretty safe. You, yeah. know, you know, the the, the watch and wait is, they, they, they're they very confident that you will be okay and they will get it before anything bad happens. Do they put, like they put a 98% percentage on the other one, do they put a percentage on that? No. I guess it's it, it, it depends on yeah. you know the grade and the stage and the mm. whatever the location and a bunch yeah. of other things. So they can't, and so you are running that risk as well. How's, um, how's the how's the screening one done? Is it so? There's a few different ways to screen. The main way is mammogram. <laughs> 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 it is painful. 
really? <laughs> they're just like, oh god, they've so pancaked yeah, the done, shit yeah. out of your boobs oh. like so just, everywhere. Just to describe, it's got along the sound effect there, it's some sort of boob squeeze <laughs> and projection yeah, towards the microphone. It's, it's real weird. It's real weird yeah. and not not comfortable. <laughs> But it's not, but it's, it takes like five minutes. The MRI is the worst, I think, because you just sit, I mean, anyone who's got an MRI, you yeah, just sit yeah, in that yeah. tube for ages. And mm -hmm. So, yeah, so for the reasons I mentioned before, I am, and, you know, obviously that includes reactions to trauma and all that kind of stuff, which is super personal. Uh, I've definitely decided that the way, the right thing for me is the mastectomy. Um, and so I'm on that path now, and I'm doing it in May after, like, a few many you know years of meetings and discussing the yeah pros and cons and everything. So now I'm deciding. Basically, there's two ways you can do it. Like the recon the, the mastectomy itself is one way. You just it's just a slice off. Oh, slice. <laughs> That's bad. <laughs> let's maybe take that out. <laughs> <laughs> Removal. Um, and then you can either have an implant or what they call a flap reconstruction. Well, that sounds pretty bad. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that when I read that. I know. I don't know why they call it flap. It's awful. <laughs> I even wrote it down. I was like, that can't be right. <laughs> I checked it again. No flap. Yeah. So what yeah. is that? So that's so they. I guess they do cut a flap in you, and they just take like tissue from another part of your body and then put it okay. in your breast. So often that's from the stomach or the back, mm -hmm. uh, or they can do it from the legs, uh, thigh thigh region. Um, which I think that's kind of what I'm leaning towards right now because I just like the idea of, you know, saving myself with myself and mm. it's still all my body. Um, and also you only have to do it once, whereas implants you have to replace every 15 years. So okay. that's something. Um, but there are risks, the risk of, uh, for the leg one specifically, they have to... Uh, cut, sever the arteries from your leg completely and then put them, reattach them. Whereas with the stomach, they just move it all up. Mm -hmm. And so there is a chance, there's a 10% chance that it, the tissue dies. It doesn't take. Just mm -hmm. like it's like fatty material. It's right? just fat. Something. It's yeah, just, yeah, yeah. yeah, it is just fat component. So do you, choo do you choose where it comes from? As in stomach, yeah, leg? Yeah, if you have, so I, I just feel like a bit of a dick saying this. I don't have enough stomach. <laughs> I bet, I bet. That was a great moment when they That's said that. Sweet. You were like, wow. Stop it. <laughs> but yeah, so they would have to be leg for me. But I think you probably could choose, if, you know, theoretically. Um, and that's a nice thing you can choose, like, and you can choose what's what's shape and size and stuff. So it's you know, it's Small nice little. There. It is, shopping, it's, yeah. Shopping, boob boobies, shopping, yeah. yeah. So you're still weighing up. Either or so I'm, or. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm meeting the. I haven't met the leg guy yet. I'm meeting him in January, mm. um, and he's gonna like break it down for me in specifics and see what he thinks with my body and stuff. Um, and then I'll decide. I've met the implant guy, and I assume the leg one, like if you take it from a leg, does that you end up with some sort of scar on your leg? Or and so there's like scars, that? yeah. But it's it's the inside of your leg. It's like mm. al along your bikini line, then down the inner inner thigh. A, a certain amount of distance, and I think maybe that's different for each person. But you will have scars, and so that's another downer. But it just depends how much that means to you, and all yeah, that. yeah. Because I think the nipple. Well, I've heard, I think nipple sparing is the same. So there's thing, nipple right? sparing as well. Yeah. And so that's different again. So there's nipple. Nipple. They either can, if you have a serious attachment to your nipple, they can spare it. But there are some breast cells in it, and so it okay, just okay, means a tiny bit higher risk. 
So if you want to have the most risk-reducing situation, you take the nipple off. And then they remake the nipple, so it's not like just like a weird nippleless breast. They just they make it up, and you can like tattoo it mm-hmm. okay. to look like a normal one. It's incredible. Think, yeah. I know it is amazing. amazing. Tattoo the nipple on top. Yeah. That's, that is mad. With that. Because I guess it's all it's all part of the weighing up the options, right? In terms of you've obviously said, I think from your point of view, which completely makes sense. If you're doing that monitoring process, you're kind of what you said it was every six months kind of thing. You kind of got that date every six months where you're thinking, Christ, this, this might could be, be it. The one. Yeah, this is and the I've one. done it for a few years, and like, let me tell you the anxiety that I've yeah. been through yeah. going in there. Oof. It's just not not a scene I want to be in. But for some people, they would prefer that and feel secure. And I just think it's totally personal. But yeah, because I mean, not for me. It's still a. I mean, obviously difficult to say I don't have breasts but still massively brave decision to go right I don't want that anxiety so I'm just gonna chop and I don't want to (laughs) slice and chop too much but a part of my body off yeah um that's amazing process isn't it um yeah investing with for like I've been, a yeah, time. a couple of years thinking about it, and you know, part of me initially was kind of thinking, like, is this, is it like an avoidant thing? Because yeah, yeah. It, I just can't deal with the anxiety, so I'm just gonna chop off the anxiety. But I actually think, like, yeah, it, it is a way to reduce my anxiety, but also, it's just, I think, thinking cognitively outside of my emotional world, practically, it makes sense. Like, yeah. this is the problem. This is the best way to reduce the risk to save myself and my family from future mm. problems, stress, illnesses, whatever. Yeah. That makes the most sense. So brave, this whole thing. Like, I just mm. something that, another thing that guys just don't yeah. have to potentially worry about, you know, girls obviously have, we were having this conversation recently, like, girls have pregnancy and, like, all this stuff, mm. and guys have it so easy in so many regards, and, like, this, is, again, is something like that that we wouldn't have to worry about yeah so, i mean the equivalent well, of cancer is prostate cancer but it's not you don't it's have the same, same decisions to make you're not you? like oh god i've got and it has other issues that we've talked about like incontinence but getting your prostate cut out doesn't have the same yeah. visual impact which you no, know it's different it's psychological it? attachment yeah, I mean, you yeah, don't yeah, think yeah. about your prostate mm. daily do you mm. i mean i'm 100 percent with you though if i if yeah. i was i mean i can't say if i was in your position it's a ridiculous thing to say but it sounds like for you Fair play. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I feel good about it. Um, definitely scared in a, I think, healthy way, but yeah, I feel good yeah. about the decision. Nice. Because, I mean, there are, and this is kind of for high risk, in terms of, we're, again, we're just talking about the hereditary thing, high risk it is the treatment options are, as you've kind of explained, monitoring or um, mastectomy. But then you can move down. There's a category below, which is kind of less high risk. And there are some medical options, right? There's a few drugs, and it's all based on um, stop it lowering your estrogen levels. Yeah. Right? So if you're not the triple negative type and you have, you're expressing estrogen receptor on there or the progesterone receptor or the HER2, then there are drugs you can take to reduce the risk. Or if it's already there, stop it growing further and try and manage it. And, yeah, treatment's very successful now in terms of, well, in terms of other cancers, I think it's it's well it's a high nineties survival rate for breast cancer, really? which is very good compared to. But I mean, is that is that obviously that takes into account everything from screening to treatment, mm-hmm. right? So it's I mean it's a tricky number to dissect. But gone, Rob. Do we have an idea of 
what proportions of people diagnosed with breast cancer are triple negative versus? Uh, it's probably known, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, okay, all right, uh, I wonder. Mm. And like the link between like BRCA1 and 2 and the, and the types? Yeah. Yeah, so there's similar survival rates between BRCA1 and 2. So again, they're both high 90s. But in terms of the breakdown of types of cancer, BRCA1 and 2 does only account for 5% of breast cancers. Does okay. yeah. it? Yeah. Wow. yeah. It's not, really? Yeah, yeah, it's not a high percentage in the grand scheme of things. And only That's a quarter tiny. of all genetic ones. So there's lots of other genetics. Yeah. What? So 5% of breast cancers is... BRCA1 and 2, and that's, so that's all breast cancers. And then yeah. within the hereditary breast cancer aspect, they're 25% of all the hereditary ones. So there are other genes that um, can result in breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And what are they? Or we don't know them? Yeah, there's some are known, and they all have very appealing genetic names, such as... So why are BRCA1 and 2 so famous then, if they're only 5%? So I think they're still some of the most frequent genetic ones. So even though it's 25%, I think there's lots of lots of other genetic ones which don't amass to a very high amount at all. So there's one called P10, another one called TP53. And oh, yeah. I was tested for that one. Oh, yeah. Oh. I mean, 5% oh, generally yeah. speaking is a... This obviously generally speaking, but 5% is a clinically significant yeah. number when you break it down with the amount of people who have breast cancer, which is the biggest killer. We've gone over yeah. that. It's a significant number of people. Um, and if you think... you the way they're going, you do the genetic testing for that gene, those two genes, the other genes Dave just mentioned. Then you have the other type of screening, which they now in the UK anyway, they offer to women between 50 and 70, right? Mm -hmm. Which is the more mammogram type, actually looking for. I think my mum gets those tissue. every year. Um, so there's all these preventative measures, but then as it is only, that form is only 5%, which is why there's huge investment in still into cure of people who have breast cancer yeah there's the preventative aspect and the cure aspect which stuff we've talked about immunotherapy they're looking at in breast cancer all those kind of things and so okay just to end then on that in that area where would you if you two rob and lucy were if you had the uh the funding for breast cancer now obviously it's not as simple as that but if you had the funding would you your experience, given your experience, would you try and put it towards the preventative measures, given the, the percentages we talked about, or would you focus on trying to find a cure? Or something else? A uh, far more different question than I was thinking you were going to ask. I thought you were going to be like, oh, which one would you go for if you're in Lucy's position? Perhaps. Oh, right, right, right. But, um, Where would you f like funnel the yeah, funding? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Thinking from yeah, both psychological point of view, and efficacy point of view, effective point of view. In my head, I'm thinking the more people, the, if you can prevent as many as possible through both types. Mm. So obviously we said 5%, but then there's the other genetic types plus the, the, the kind of mammogram screening. So you're trying to prevent as many people as possible getting it. Do you put your efforts there or do you take the money from that and put it into a cure? So you know people are going to get it, mm. but once they've got it, you can get rid of it. Obviously, it's not as simple as that. <laughs> uh, I mean, I suppose it's the most effective versus the least trauma is where you want to try exactly, and yeah. try and find. And isn't it true with HIV recently? They've kind of developed the preventative measures so much that it's basically you can live healthily without HIV and also without passing on to other people. Yeah, you yeah. can get the viral load down so low yeah. it's no longer an issue. So there's, 
that argument to it too. But at the same time, like the idea of managing to just get rid of it in one clean sweep is is yeah. you know the ideal scenario, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe they're linked as well. If you if you sort of focus on the preventative stuff and you you learn about the sort of genetic makeup and build up and progression and mutation and everything, maybe that helps with the cure mm. research mm. as well as a knock It is definitely all interconnected. Interesting you say with the, it, maybe a strenuous link, the HIV one in terms of finding out how to not pass it on. Mm. We've done episodes in terms of gene alterations, CRISPR. Mm-hmm. There's that possibility in the future that you can identify you've got a mutation and you can stop your child inheriting it. that. Yeah. Right. All so they've, yeah, they've asked me if I want to, like, I could do that. I can not, really? not pass on my thing. Yeah. And how do, do you know how they do it? I presume. Not detailed, but they, you know, <laughs> well. take, take, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, so they take, take the egg out and okay, they yeah, like, yeah, just yeah. suck out the gene. Yeah. As if it's that easy, but yeah. Okay, really so it would be that there. method rather than yeah, it okay. would be CRISPR, I imagine. Yeah, fair. Yeah, it's, it's a very, it's a very tough question. That though, I, I suppose I'd have, have to have quite a bit more expertise. Nice. I'd have to have quite a bit more expertise to try and balance up the pros and cons on it. Um, but both are getting better. So yeah. breast cancer rates are going up at the moment, and it's thought really? it's because of screenings getting better rather than it's actually increasing. Mm-hmm. So we're just mm-hmm. becoming more aware of it. But even though the rates are going higher up, fewer people are dying from it because okay. treatment's better. So, guy, if Rob says I'd need more expertise, what would the experts say? I think both. Like you said, <laughs> it's not that simple. You wouldn't just choose one or the other. Cop out. Okay, fine. On that inconclusive point, <laughs> as we love to do, I think we will end it there. Yeah, thanks Utterly for having me. Fascinating. Absolutely. about it. I think it's. Yeah, I'm glad to share it. I'm glad to kind of give more right, sort of voice or yeah awareness to this the options you have and, and the the experience of disposition and, and like yeah, how far yeah. it's come since your yeah. mom's era as yeah, well. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Amazing, it feels really, good it? to kind of right that wrong in yeah, a way. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I think a good thing to say if you are worried about whether you might be at risk there is um, lots of information online. I think as we were looking last night on Cancer Research UK and other charity websites where they say if you have relatives that have breast cancer, you can see whether you should go and talk to a doctor and get tested. And I, I think, I, I spoke to somebody who has cancer in her family and she just said she didn't want to get tested, would never want to know. And I think that's completely fair. But I, my personal mm. point mm-hmm. perspective is I think knowledge is power and the more you know, the more you can do and be in control of, of your life. Nice. I couldn't think of a better way to end. Yeah. Yeah. So I will say no more other than thank you so much for coming. <laughs> Thanks, for Thanks guys, me. as always. And we'll see you next time. Sick, so sick, so sick of hell.